It was definitely a piece that pushed a lot of people's buttons in a lot of different ways. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. So, for the first Christmas episode of The Art Angle, we thought we would take a good hard look at the most important developments in the art world this past year. From the moral crisis over museum patronage to the surging market for previously underrecognized voices. But then we thought, who are we kidding? We're going to talk about the banana. If you haven't heard about the banana yet, this is your lucky day, because chances are the majority of your friends and extended family have, and it may be all they want to talk about during your Christmas party. So here's the gist. Earlier this month, the Italian artist Maurizio Catalan duct-taped an ordinary supermarket banana to the wall of his gallery's booth at Art Basel, Miami Beach, and declared it an artwork, pricing it at the risible sum of $120,000. What happened next is a frankly astonishing sequence of events that captivated the world and is still unfolding today. It's as if this banana managed to pierce an opening in the fabric of reality, creating a wormhole of sorts between the art world and the real world that sucked everyone from one into the other. Or maybe it was more like ICE-9, the chemical that starts an irreversibly destructive chain reaction in Kurt Vonnegut's novel Cat's Cradle. It's actually impossible not to weave grandiose theories around the banana. So today, we're going to take a look at how this banana duct tape to the wall became an obsession for the world at large, what it all means, and why it's actually not a banana duct taped to the wall at all. To discuss this topic, we're joined by Artnet News senior writer Sarah Cascone. Thanks for being on The Art Angle, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Thrilled to be here. So, Sarah, when I first got a tip about Catalan selling a banana at Art Basel, I thought you'd be perfect for the story. I didn't realize how perfect. What happened when you went to visit Peritan Gallery's booth? Well, I thought I was late on the mark because it was about 3 p.m. and I got there and Emmanuel Periton knew I was coming and he was like, what do you know about this banana? And I was like, well, I know it's a work of art. I know it's a real banana and I know it's for sale and it's up to the collector how often they want to replace the banana, but it's a conceptual work of art. And he's like, did you know I already sold it? I was honestly shocked. So we were the first ones to report that the banana had sold, not once, but twice. While I was there, a second banana sold. Now, if I'm correct, you were surprised, but you were also somehow a little bit upset. Why was that? So as I was talking to Emmanuel, he's like, you know, you don't seem as enthusiastic about this as I am. I don't feel like you're sharing my excitement about this banana. And I was like, that is true. Let me tell you why. Because my husband, Nathan Monroe-Yavna, when we were in college, when we started dating, he had a real banana duct taped to his wall for two years. It was like a dried up, desiccated husk of a banana, and he refused to get rid of it. And he, in fact, after this story broke, went back to our apartment, got it out, and sent me a photograph of this shriveled brown banana. So I knew the minute that I we got wind of this banana, I knew that I was not going to be able to hear the end of it from Nathan. I knew he was going to be insufferable and say now that he was also a great artist and that this had proven his genius and I had been foolish to 
ever question the validity of this banana hung on the wall. Okay, so basically this makes your husband's dream come true, <laughs> being completely validated in yes. this high-concept art world that you work in professionally. <laughs> and this was just the beginning of a chain reaction of events that happened. So the banana sold. What happened after that? Well, immediately, even... At the fair, you could see that people were flocking to this banana. By the end of the fair, there was swarms of people online posting their own versions of bananas stuck to the wall. It, like, unleashed a wave of copycats, people wanting to do the thing with the banana with all sorts of products, like Popeye's partnered with a gallery in Miami to put their viral chicken sandwich taped to the wall. <laughs> Moon Pies did one on their official Instagram. A plantain company posted an unripe plantain taped to the wall. Everybody thought it was hilarious. Uh, the work is called Comedian, appropriately. It's like every single marketing team across the country decided simultaneously that this was marketing gold <laughs> to get on the banana bandwagon. And this was just the beginning. So after becoming viral on social media, the banana then ascended to the next level of its celebrity by actually breaking into traditional print media, specifically the venerable New York Post, where it made the front cover. And for anybody who doesn't live in New York and isn't aware, the New York Post is pretty much the sine qua non of lowbrow mainstream pop culture. Something then happened that took this to a whole nother new level. Who is David Detuna and what did he do? David Detuna is a performance artist who took his own initiative to walk up to the banana, which I believe at that point had been placed behind a velvet rope in order to <laughs> do a little crowd control, walked up unceremoniously, ripped it off the wall, peeled the banana and said, I'm a hungry artist. This performance is called Hungry Artist and I'm eating the banana. And I think, honestly, a lot of people only heard about the story after he ate the banana. I think huh. in some people's minds, the act of eating the banana became a bigger thing than the banana itself being sold for $120,000. Okay, so here we've got Maurizio Catalan puts a banana on the wall. Somebody buys it for $120,000. Then somebody eats the banana <laughs> and then turns it into this weird conceptual gesture. What happened after Datuno ate the banana? Well, he was asked to leave the fair. Emmanuel Periton was already at the airport. He had to come back to the fair to deal with the fallout from the, <laughs> the eaten banana. Uh, luckily, uh, the banana was one of a bunch of bananas that had been purchased by gallery employees and installed by an art handler at the fair on Maurizio Catalan's behalf. They had selected two bananas that they thought were the proper shape and color for this particular piece. So they had a spare banana in the booth. <laughs> so they were able to reinstall Comedian, okay. I think, without much difficulty. But so. the next morning, they decided that it had gotten too crazy. They were worried that people were going to start bumping into other artworks nearby because the crowds were just really massing around the banana all day long. So at the suggestion of the fair, they actually took the piece down for the last day. So Art Basel said that the banana was actually creating an unsafe environment yes. for other fairgoers and other objects at the fair. And I think that there was actually one adjoining booth where they had to remove one sculpture from the floor of the gallery because people kept on bumping into it. Oh, no. 
<laughs> so what happened after they removed the banana from the fair? Because that wasn't the end of that. No. So uh, another artist um, named Roderick Weber actually decided to make a piece of his own by writing, I believe it was with lipstick, on the empty wall where the banana had once been taped, Epstein didn't kill himself, which is another viral meme based on the conspiracy theory that Jeffrey Epstein, the convicted pedophile with ties to very high-profile and wealthy people around the world, must have been killed as part of a conspiracy. So this is getting weirder and weirder and weirder. And Uh, unlike Detuna, Mr. Weber was arrested and put in jail for this. So I heard that when this guy was being led away by security to go to jail, somebody was actually heard saying, this is the gallery where anyone can do art, right? (laughs) Which... It's not really true, but it seems at this point that it actually did become the gallery where anyone (laughs) in the world can do art. I don't think that the gallery knew what they were getting themselves into. I mean, when I spoke to Emmanuel on the opening day, he was just shocked how quickly people were responding. Everyone had an opinion about what the piece meant. Everyone couldn't get over the fact that something so simple was being sold for so much. And was it a joke? Was it a commentary on the frivolity of the art world. Was it this? Was it that? Everyone had a theory. It was definitely a piece that pushed a lot of people's buttons in a lot of different ways. My own Instagram, I posted a photograph that I ran on our story. I was getting notifications constantly. I got 800 followers in three days. It was wild. And I remember walking around in Miami with you. You were an instant celebrity. (laughs) Everybody wanted to talk to you about the banana. So at some point, the buyers of the banana wanted to get in on this whole celebrity action too. And they started to step forward. So who is Billy and Beatrice Cox of Miami? They bought the third edition of the banana. (laughs) And actually, while I was there speaking to Emmanuel, he called Maurizio and was like, the first two have sold. I think we have to up the price. So they bought it for $150,000 with the promise that they will give it to a museum. (laughs) Okay. So at some point the banana started to evolve beyond being just this plaything of the frivolous art world in this meme-hunting pop cultural arena, and it actually started to take on a broader social resonance. Tell me about the janitor strike in Miami. Yeah, so last week, actually, uh, a group of about 50 Miami janitors protested in the streets, and one of their main symbol of their protests became the banana. They taped it to their shirts, and they called it the Plantanito protest. And their message was that, how dare you spend so much money on a banana when we're here in Miami, we live here, we work here, we help the city keep running, we keep the city clean, and we're not making a living wage. So the banana really became a rallying cry for this janitor strike because they were so upset with their working conditions and they saw the banana as a symbol of everything that was wrong. So it becomes this emblem of gaping inequality between the rich and the poor, which, I mean, it kind of is. So at some point, a law professor gets involved. Who is Brian Fry and what did he say about the banana? Well, so Brian Fry actually, in addition to being a law professor, was an artist who showed in one of the Whitney Biennials. And Hmm. his piece that he did for that, a video piece, was actually acquired by the museum. So he has an art world background. And he wrote, while drunk, a a whole treatise on why the banana can't be sold for that much money, that it's illegal to do so. And that's because he said that it's not 
really an artwork, but a financial instrument that should be governed by the Securities and Exchange Commission and that the gallery didn't have the proper permitting to be trading in these kinds of commodities, which is just hilarious. So to sum things up, the banana was put on the wall, somebody bought it, somebody ate it, all the brands in the world start to get involved, the buyers came in to take credit, there was a janitorial strike, and then a third artist, who's a law professor, <laughs> came in to try to put his stamp on it. Oh, and he is selling his argument. He's selling an additioned print of his paper about why the banana is illegal. Basically, his argument against conceptual art as something that can be bought and sold. Okay, so I think this goes a little bit beyond the realm of pure journalism. So thank you very much, Sarah. I think we're going to need to avail ourselves of the expert commentary of Ben Davis, our chief art critic, to come in and tell us a little bit about what the heck does this banana mean? So, Ben, welcome okay, back. Okay, here well, we go. Welcome back to the Art Angle. What is going on with this banana? Ah, yes. The banana, the story that everyone's family is going to ask them to explain when they head home for the holidays. Look, there are two, two and a half points I'd make about what this banana is. The first is the banana is meant to be a banana. That's what the artist told Sarah when she was at the booth. He had been thinking about different ways to make this image work. Should he, should he make a bronze banana? Been traveling with this idea and finally decided that actually the dumber this artwork, the better. The second point I'd hmm. make is that the price tag is part of the artwork. This is something also that Sarah reported that he workshopped with the dealer how much money they should ask for and finally decided that $120,000 was the right amount because it was somewhere between an insignificant number that would trivialize the work and an outlandish one that would be completely ridiculous. Hmm. The ridiculousness of asking that amount of money for this thing is part of the work, which brings me to my final thought, which I am less impressed than you are, Andrew, that this made the cover of the New York Post because the work essentially could be a political cartoon of the most populist idea of what is going on in the art world, that it's a bunch of dumb, rich people spending too much money for things that are of no value. It is essentially made to court that kind of attention. And to the extent that there is a kind of insight in this work of art, it is that infamy is as good as fame in terms of value in the world we live in, that courting that kind of negative attention is the surest way to spin a career. Everybody is familiar with the idea of trolling, and I guess this is a massive act of trolling. Something like that, yeah. So we, we know how it plugs into the pop cultural vernacular of these kinds of incredibly hilarious memes. How does it plug into the actual history of art? Sure. Well, anybody who is connected to art in any way has the alibi of the ready-made, right? You know, you have a nearly more than 100-year-long tradition now of using found objects as art. The go-to example is Marcel Duchamp's urinal, hmm. which 
was a uh, found urinal. He bought it from a factory and was displayed as an artwork and is, by a lot of metrics, the most famous artwork of the 20th century. However, in a lot of ways, I think that that's missing the point. These are alibis for this work of art. And I would really point to another precedent, which is in February of this year, the Instagram post world record egg that from being a completely nondescript image of an egg and because it was a joke that it was so valueless, such an ordinary everyday thing, it rocketed to fame and became the most liked Instagram image of all time. It is exactly that sort of insight about how information circulates now and how if you can make something that's counterintuitive enough to be interesting and make that a cause that people can get on board, open up a space that everyone can participate in, that there's power there. Okay, can I just ask, so the eureka moment that Catalan had when he was in his hotel room was, okay, I'm going to use an actual banana. That was his big towering insight here. What is it about a banana that is so funny? <laughs> I mean, look, there's sexual innuendos. Banana is a classic punchline. You slip on a banana. But again, the banana is just an incredibly ordinary object. It's every day. You see them all the time. The space is open. But this is a joke about that space. The streetwise nature of it is that it knows that and it asks you to be part of this joke. But that is what it is. You are fooling yourself if you think it is more than that. Okay, so let's go back to David Detuna, who's the guy who ate the banana. Mm -hmm. How does his performance fit into the history of art? Well, there are plenty of precedents of artists destroying each other's artwork and calling that art the go-to reference here would be something like Robert Rauschenberg's Erased de Kooning Drawing, where he took a drawing by the very famous painter Willem de Kooning and erased it. And that sort of gesture of annihilation, of destroying your forebears, became a work of art in itself. But I think the references that Sarah was bringing up are much more apt in a way. You know, the Popeye's chicken immediately seeing that this is marketing gold and taping a chicken sandwich to the wall of a gallery <laughs> that they rented out. That's more the space that this David DeTuna character is playing in, right? He sees an opportunity to participate in the joke. It opens up a space where people can participate, in this case, by taking advantage of the opportunity that this artwork provides him to eat it, he becomes the center of the media vortex and part of the narrative. Okay, so let's go back to all the people who became copycat Maurizio Catalans who started taping their own bananas to the wall. Let's go back mm -hmm. to Sarah's husband, who was arguably the Duchamp of this situation. What is it that makes Catalans' banana an artwork and these people's bananas not an artwork? Well... Look, despite my exasperation with this story and despite my impulse that this is the greatest possible opportunity to make the argument to tax the rich, it is my job as an art critic to explain to you, our listeners, how to talk about this work of art. And I do think that there is a lot of mystification that goes on around 
what art is, how it works. To a certain extent, this artwork plays that up in the sense that it's making a joke out of the very permissive way images circulate in the art world, this idea that anything can be art and isn't that funny. So to answer your question directly, if Sarah's husband tapes up a work of banana, is that art? Yes. Anything is art that gives you joy and a certain sort of pleasure, you know, and they're Pleasures come in all types. There's the pleasure of beauty. There's the pleasure of doing something clever, quirky, interesting, or fun. You'd simply put it in those categories. Now, is it a work of art in the same modality as the Catalan work? And the answer to that is no, not really, because the reaction to Catalan's work of art is part of what makes it a work of art. Right? It's like his fact that he identifies this space, that it's going to be in this very highly trafficked media environment where it has potential to have these spillover effects, to go viral in this sort of way. The kind of fame that accrues to it is part of the work of art itself. And here's a very intuitive and simple way to explain it. There is a dress that was sold for $4.8 million two years ago which is a heck of a lot of money to pay for a dress, but it was Marilyn Monroe's dress. It's an ordinary piece of clothing that is transformed by the association with Marilyn Monroe into a very valuable object. Same with this banana, that it is a perfectly ordinary banana. The thing that makes it circulate in the way it does is this sort of self replicating fame around it, the fact that it is the banana, that it is the ordinary, arbitrary, silly object that attention has latched onto that becomes the key element of it. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, you're saying that it is precisely like the Mona Lisa, which was stolen in Europe, I believe, during World War II, setting off all these gigantic headlines worldwide, and then it was recovered It went on a glamorous tour around America, getting all of this press. And then it became famous for being famous. And it became famous for the lines, for the mystery of the smile, for the who is the Mm -hmm. Mona Lisa, who isn't the Mona Lisa. It kind of gets this whole accrued storytelling world built around it so that everybody has some point of entry into it. Are you saying, in other words, that the banana is essentially precisely like... Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Uh, You know, it is and it isn't. You're not going to trap me into (laughs) saying it is. But there's a very direct connection in the sense that Marcel Duchamp, the famous artist who put the urinal on a pedestal, sort of invented this genre of found object art, also very famously did a work about the Mona Lisa, where he drew a mustache on an image of the Mona Lisa. And that was exactly a commentary about this kind of thing. Andy Warhol famously said when the Mona Lisa toured New York and created what is still, I believe, if not the most visited show in the history of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, then it's up there. Andy Warhol famously said, why don't they just tour a replica, people wouldn't know. They're not really looking at it. What they're looking at is the aura around it. Now, I don't think that's all that art is, but the deeper we go, the closer we get to the present, the more accessible media is, and the more we're immersed in the constant reaction and counter-reaction to things, the more that's what people are really seeing and experiencing. 
So at the beginning of this episode, I teased out that Mauricio Catalan's banana duct taped to the wall is not actually a banana duct taped to the wall. Can you explain the fine craft behind this masterpiece <laughs> of sculpture? Well, aside from the specifics of the installation, because it is very deliberately designed to play with the space. It's put in the middle of this giant wall where it looks kind of silly sitting there alone, like there should be a more important or bigger, more impressive object there. It is actually a wonderful testament to exactly what I was talking about, that things circulate without people really looking at them in a certain way, that this duct tape banana is actually not a duct tape banana, that it appears that way, but what's actually happened is they've taken a banana wrapped it with a loop of duct tape and then affixed it to another piece of duct tape that is put perpendicularly across the wall and then glued it with super glue so that that produces a more perfect platonic form of the duct tape banana than an actual duct tape banana would be. And it's amazing that all the knock-on uh, memes riffing on this concept, it happens in independence of what's actually going on in the physical thing itself in the booth. So we didn't actually get into the greatest artworks of the year, but I think we did talk about the most potassium-rich artwork <laughs> of the year. Uh, ben, thank you very much for joining me. My Sarah, pleasure. thank you very much for being on The Art Angle. And thank you for listening. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. The Art Angle is produced by Tim Schneider and Caroline Goldstein and edited by Nick Long. Happy holidays, and see you next week. Hold up. 